Welcome to Taking Care of Lady Business, where we put the business back in lady business. Hosted by Jennifer Justice, founder and CEO of the Justice Department, a management strategy and law firm that works with female and woke male entrepreneurs, executives, talent, brands, and creatives to build and maximize their wealth, focusing in the areas of tech, consumer product, finance, media, entertainment, and fashion. Jennifer interviews entrepreneurial women who have done it all, who will be sharing their secrets on all things business, especially as a woman. These highly successful women will share strategies and insights, including what not to do and what it takes to win. And now, here's your host, Jennifer Justice. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business. I'm Jennifer Justice. Today, we have Denise Woodard, who is the founder and CEO of Partake Foods. And I'm sure if you've shopped, you've seen her. <laughs> down in any store, you have seen all of her better for you. Um, food starting with, it was starting with cookies. Yeah, Denise? We yeah. Started um, with cookies. Amazing. We're going to hear all about her story, which is an original, unique story and just amazing, more in, intel and amazing intel on that you do not have to have some linear story in your career in life. So, hi, Denise. Welcome. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy you're here. Um, we sat next to each other at a dinner and that's, but we'd heard of each other like forever. And then finally we're like, oh my God. And, and I, I had to um, hear her whole story about how she, t- how she started Partake Foods. So I want everyone, you to share it with everyone today, like a little bit of your journey, how you started your career and then, and then how you started up uh, and why you started Partake. Sure thing. So I grew up in a small town in North Carolina. I'm from Fayetteville, North Carolina. Um, Neither of my parents graduated high school. And the direction was go to college, get a job in corporate America, don't ever leave. And I didn't clearly, I clearly didn't follow instructions, but I did for a period of time to your point of things not being linear. So went to college at the University of North Carolina and started my career in corporate America where I was for about 12 years. Um, I worked across uh, companies like FedEx and spent the most of most of my career at Coca-Cola. Worked in a variety of sales and marketing roles at Coke. And then my husband and I started thinking about having a family. And as much as I loved the company and the people I was working with, I knew that I wasn't going to give my child high fructose corn syrup water. Turns out she's allergic to corn anyway. So but that's a, another story about how the, the company came to be. Um, and I had the pretty serendipitous opportunity to move over to their Venturing and Emerging Brands group. And so that's where I got my first dose of entrepreneurship at scale. My dad's an entrepreneur, but in the form of uh, he's a truck driver. He was an over-the-road truck driver, owned his own truck, and then started to buy others and has a small trucking company. So I saw beauty salons and barber shops and truck drivers, but I never knew anything about raising outside capital capital and strategics and all these this language that was totally unfamiliar to me until I took that role at Coke. And so leading sales for their venturing and emerging brands group, getting to work with high growth, mission-oriented beverage companies like Honest Tea, loved it, had no intention of leaving. It felt to me at the time like the perfect mix of entrepreneurship and, and corporate. And then my daughter came along and Vivian is eight now, feels like going on 16, but um, around her first birthday, we learned uh, that she's allergic to tree nuts, eggs, corn, and bananas, which I was not expecting um, given my husband nor I have any food allergies. And it was a a pretty scary uh, series of events that helped us discover that she had food allergies. And I, I think I immediately went into mama bear mode and tried to figure out, you know, how do I create solutions for her that are delicious, that 
have ingredients that are better for you. And most of all, I thought about her going through her life, um, and particularly her childhood with the food allergies and how she wouldn't be able to confidently participate in so many social events that involve food. Yeah, because while there were safe solutions, none of the brands I, I found to be particularly cool. And I, I dreamed of a brand that made better few products that happened to be allergy friendly. That was cool enough that other people would would want to eat it. So that's where the idea for Partake came from. I had the idea in the summer of 2016 and spent the next year uh, working at Coke, moonlighting, trying to figure out how to get the business off the ground and left my job in August of 2017 to officially launch the company. So fascinating. And I mean, I love, you know, the reasoning. It's like you take something that could be seen as super unfortunate and turn it into something that's like become a family business. I mean, it's like, so let's talk a little bit about that transition. So you're a Coke and you're like, I want to have kids, but I don't want to endorse like their brands basically. And then how did you decide that and to go into the venture, venture side? Like what was that transition? I started looking at, I had the least sexy job ever at Coke at that time. I had some roles I really liked. At that time, I was doing vending sales. So I was calling on national vending customers. So the stuff that goes into vending machines across the country was you know, fine, a learning experience, but not something I enjoyed. And I started to look at our portfolio of brands. And I saw that there was some new emerging stuff that I wasn't really getting exposure to brands like health aid that Coke had invested in brands like honest tea that Coke had purchased that I was shopping when I was shopping at Whole Foods. And I wanted to learn more about and so I pretty much stalked the person who was running the group and Funny story, she actually, my boss um, is now an employee at Partake. She leads sales no for us. Um, and my boss's boss actually sits on the board of Partake and became an investor. And so um, I was just really honest with both of them. And, and like, you know, I love this company. Here's my skill set. Here's what I think I can bring to the table. Is there something? And it took a long time to build the relationship. And I think that's something that I've learned across, um, you know, my corporate career, but that's also served me well in this role. Like we, the partnerships that we've kicked off that I'm so proud of have taken years and years, whether it be investors or brand partnerships. And so just having patience and remaining consistent has been such a constant theme. Well, wasn't that scary? I mean, look, my mom didn't graduate high school either. My dad barely did. and No one went to college. Well, wasn't that scary to go to your bosses and be like, um, hey, I want to try this other thing and, you know, in the venture side of it. And then on top of it, I want to leave and do a brand that has nothing to do with what you guys do. It's kind of the opposite. I mean, how, like, how did you it, like think about that in your brain to do that, knowing, you know, that you, you needed to, needed to work, right? I, I think this is probably one of the biggest blessings in disguise that I got on the journey was I entered a pitch competition. It was almost like something out of a movie. I was telling my husband, Jeremy, um, in line at the zoo on a Saturday, you won't believe what idea Martha. So Martha was our nanny. Martha also actually has equity and partake because it was Martha who really kicked my butt into gear and was like, all you do is complain about the stuff you can't find for your daughter. Do something about it. And so I was like, you won't believe Martha has this idea guy in line in front of us turned around and was like, it sounds like you have a really good idea. You should enter the small business pitch competition. There was a small business pitch competition for New Jersey based businesses called the start something challenge. That was a Saturday and the deadline to enter was like that following Monday. I went home and incorporated a business that at the time I called Vivi's Life LLC because I didn't really know exactly what we were going to do other than make Vivi's life better and easier. Um, Incorporated the business, entered the pitch competition, ended up winning off of an idea 
won $10,000, which was great. More importantly, it came with some press. And then I was forced, I didn't expect that part to happen. And then I was forced to tell my boss what I was doing, because I was like, the last thing I need is for her to see me in the newspaper, like woman starts company. So I called her very awkwardly and told her what I was doing. And they ran it up the flagpole. And I had to talk to legal and ethics and all these folks around like, you know, what I was doing. And thankfully, they were quite supportive. They were like, when you have an actual product that you're selling to the same accounts that we sell our products to, there's a conflict of interesting you have to hit the road but until then as you like incubate this idea as long as your work product doesn't suffer you can stick around and so that gave me a year to build up my savings to work on finding a contract manufacturer a product developer to figure out if this actually had legs and I was going to pursue it and so it, it worked out really well beyond my wildest dreams and I feel grateful for the man in line at the zoo and that pitch competition because I probably wouldn't have had the nerve to go to my boss and and share this with her and I'd probably tried to turn this thing into a side hustle. That is insane. Wait, somebody was like eavesdropping in line. Yeah. Was it Central Park? No, we were at the Turtleback Zoo in uh, South Orange, New Jersey. And I wish I knew who this person was because I'm so grateful to him. That is um, crazy. Yeah. I wonder if they even know or understand. I love that. Okay. So all of a sudden you had an idea, but then you had to actually make the product. What, like, how did you do that? So Martha and I got into the kitchen and failed horribly. And then I realized why most of the gluten-free stuff is full of rice, flour, xanthan gum, and a ton of sugar, because it's easiest to formulate that way. And so we looked at each other like, this is clearly not going to work. And then I went out to LinkedIn and I looked at all of the biggest players in the allergy-friendly space. And I looked at their past employees who had worked in innovation and R&D. And I sent them all messages like, hey, I have this idea. Will you talk to me? And a woman agreed to, uh, Lindsay, and she helped me formulate our first products. And we still work with her to this day. Um, so I feel like I've had so many lucky breaks along the way where I, you know, I don't know if it's pure luck because I, I was willing to go out on a limb and email all these random people. Um, yeah. But thankfully, someone's willing to, to take the call. That is crazy. So how long did it take with the formulation? She was a master. It was a couple months, like not long, a, a month at most. Right. And then so you came up with your what was the first product? So our first products were cookies. Um, I think another lesson I've learned is how important it is to listen to your consumer. So we launched with three flavors of crunchy cookies. I had this idea that moms wanted to like sneak veggies into products. And so the cookies had very unappetizing names like carrot oat and sweet potato millet. And thankfully, when we launched, I did hundreds of demos. And so I got to meet consumers firsthand. And they would enjoy the cookies, but be like, I would never have picked this up because the flavor sounds horrendous or the packaging. Like, I don't like this about the packaging. And so we were able to quickly pivot and we were able to save money by taking the veggies out, um, increase, um, you know, interest in the product by changing the names to much more indulgent flavors, but keeping the better for you ingredients. And so it was really those early customers that their feedback really informed what the product is like today. And how did you go about doing the demos? How did you know where to do them, how to do them? I, um, what did I do? I went to our competitors' websites and I looked at their store locators and I said, well, if these stores in New York carry their product, they must be interested in allergy-friendly products. And so I would show up with like a sell sheet that I made on PowerPoint with some samples 
And I would just explain to them what I was doing, why I was doing it. And then to get them to agree to bring the products in, I'd say, you know, I'll do five demos. And then I would just show up with this little table I bought on Amazon and a $5 tablecloth and tell the story. I would drag my husband along. I would bring my daughter along if I couldn't get a sitter sometimes. Um, I feel really fortunate that I launched the company in New York because I feel like there's such a wide range of independent stores and those managers and store managers and store owners, whether they believed in me or not, I feel like they appreciated the hustle and were willing to give me a shot in a way that maybe wouldn't happen enough in another place. I mean, it's awesome. I mean, not just it too, right? It's the hustle and, you know, that drive. It's funny. I was shopping with my son yesterday, who's 10 years old, and we were in Whole Foods and there's these frozen smoothies with like nothing bad at all. And he was like, I want to try one. And then we ended up buying them and they're in the tubes. You know what I mean? It's like, you would think that like he's 10 and wouldn't want those. And he was like, insisted on having them and loves them. But it's like, it's so great because this movement of, of, you know, better for you products, right? Our kids are like buying into it a hundred percent, you know, they like, like, sure. you know, and they can notice when they eat something that isn't. And literally my daughter will be like, this tastes like chemicals, like what yeah. or like, and so like things that she will see someone else eating or something on TV and think is really interesting. She'll taste it and realize that it's actually not as good. And so, yeah, it is interesting when you introduce them to the better for you fruits early, how they gravitate towards that. And then hopefully yeah. we'll stick with them. Yeah, my mind thinks that pie is too sweet and cupcakes are too sweet. Like, <laughs> I love it. Uh, okay, so this is 2017 when you're like hustling around New York trying to get people to um, taste all of your your product. And then so how and your boot are you bootstrapping this whole time? I'm bootstrapping. I ran a Kickstarter. So another part of the story is we needed a place to make the products. And so normally I would advise someone start small, go to a commercial kitchen, but because of the allergy kind of protocols around our product, we couldn't do that. And so I needed a contract manufacturer to agree to work with us. There's not very many. And so to convince them, I ended up running a Kickstarter campaign to show them that other people wanted this too. So we'd raised a little bit of money via Kickstarter. I was bootstrapping. In the summer of 2018, we finally got a yes. So a year in, we got a yes from Whole Foods, a region of Whole Foods, and we got a yes from Wegmans. And it started to get more expensive and we'd bootstrap kind of as far as we could. I ended up selling my engagement ring and emptying my 401k and maxing out our credit cards. And so we were kind of all in financially at that point. Yeah, that is some serious all in. And okay, so how long did that take you? How long, how far did that get you? So that got us to the end of 2018 and we started raising some, trying to raise friends and family capital. So um, coming from a fairly humble upbringing, I think the term friends and family fundraising uh, isn't that applicable. And so thankful for a lot of friends, coworkers, my husband's coworkers who are willing to um, believe in the business and wrote five and 10 and $15,000 checks. And that's what helped keep the lights on. But we were always also about to run out of money until the summer of 2019, when we raised a million dollar seed round of funding that was led by Marcy Venture Partners. Oh, yeah. It was from, yeah, Jay's. Yeah, that's amazing. And then what do you think it was with Marcy that really connected with you, um, your company? So at that point, I'd gotten nearly 100 no's as I was trying to raise, this, raise the seed round. I was getting really discouraged. Um, 
And I went into that first meeting with uh, Jay Brown and rather than the first question being, so tell me about the margin, tell me about the TAM, which we got to later, like there was plenty of financial diligence. He wanted to know more about my upbringing and what was driving me and why I was building this business. And it felt like a very different dynamic from the first conversation. And so I'm forever grateful for that partnership and for their belief in me. Yeah. So anybody who doesn't know Marcy Ventures is um, a company started by my former boss, Jay-Z and Jay Brown. That's awesome. Yes. I remember reading about that first before we had met. So they gave you the first million. And then after that, things started rolling. Yeah. Yep. So they led the round. They um, We brought in some other folks who had like very strong CPG background. So it felt like a really nice mix of investors. And at the end of 2019, the year they invested, we finished, you know, in about 350 stores, but we had big plans for 2020. And so in 2020, we ended up growing revenue 10x. We ended up growing, growing our distribution to 5,000 stores. And so that was really kind of a, a pivotal moment in the company's history. And then like, you know, doing that, how did you learn how to do it? Or who did you bring people in? Like, when did you know and who and how to bring in? So I was the only employee at Partake until January of 2020. And then um, quickly started to see after doing all the jobs in the company, what I liked and what I didn't like and what I was good at and what I wasn't. And it was clear I was not very strong at operations. And so that was the first hire that we brought on. Um, sales is where my background was, but we had so many opportunities that we need, we couldn't field them appropriately. And so next was a salesperson. And along the way, we worked with a lot of contract partners. So I think that's something I'm definitely a big fan of. Even when I was the only employee, we had a lot of third-party contractors. So an expert in a specific area that maybe I couldn't afford or didn't need to have on board full-time, but was really nice to have for a partial retainer or for a few hours here and there. And so, um, you know, really built the team with contractors initially, but started bringing the team in-house in, in 2020 as the business grew. Yeah. So then 2020 hits um, and you're growing the business. Did COVID affect you guys at all or is it? You know, people were pantry loading. And so it positively affected us that way. And I think one of the other most pivotal moments in our company's history was the murder of George Floyd, unfortunately. And so, you know, as we saw so many people wanting to support BIPOC owned businesses after he was killed, there was a huge influx of support, whether it be from influencers, potential investors, partners. Um, But it's also what made us get really serious about our impact efforts around diversity in the food industry and how we would try to create a positive change, because I felt like we had really been the beneficiary of so much positive support. Wow. So how did, I mean, again, and that means somebody else to help you do that, right? It's like, like so much is coming at you at that time. And you've just managed to like gracefully figure out all of these people, you know, to hire and help with these missions. It's so amazing. Graceful is probably a big overstatement, but somehow we got it done. It was really ugly along the way, but I think we we treated people fairly. We knew what we were trying to get to, but gosh, it was a, a struggle to get there for sure. So let's go back a little bit about raising money because it's it's always a topic of, you know, a top of mind when you talk about women raising money in particular, 2% of venture funding to women, 0.5% of women of color, like... It's dismal and it hasn't changed, yet we still continue to go to these places who are telling us by the factual data that they have no interest in what we're doing. Like, you know, what was your experience like? 
So once we grew, we grew significantly in 2020 and the dynamic of the fundraise changed significantly that year. I saw what it was like to actually have leverage and power in the relationship versus when I was getting those hundred no's like begging people to invest. And so I started to be really deliberate around about who was around the table with us. And so we have a really long cap table, but it's primarily women or people of color or funds that are supporting those groups of people. And so I, I think it may be rare, but I actually like all of my investors. I think they're aligned with us from a mission and vision and values perspective. And so I feel like I've been fortunate to be able to bring those folks on board and think about fundraising in that way. So when you're doing that, like what level are you raising at that point? So we've raised about $20 million. Um, we completed a series B last year. Right. I mean, that's great. That's a very, really huge number to grow with 20 people. That's crazy. I love it. It's a team of hustlers for sure. Hustlers and believers. So that's a, the, they're the magic that make things happen for sure. And so when you're doing this and you're raising this, this money, what is the 20 million for? Is it to grow? You do. Well, you tell me what it's for. <laughs> Um, innovation. So we just launched graham crackers. You can find them nationally at Target. We have a lot of new innovation coming. Um, investing in CapEx. So we uh, outgrew the ovens that we were using. So we needed to be able to invest in more equipment to be able to grow and innovate. Um, building out the team, making sure that we had a highly qualified group of people around the table that would help get us to the next level. And then we're competing against, you know, Oreos and Chips Ahoy and huge companies on the shelves at retailers like Target, Walmart, and Kroger. And so we do have to spend significantly on marketing and on sales promotions. And so being able to invest in those things. But we are quite focused on getting to profitability. Yeah. So when all of these terms, like, did you know any of this before you started? No, I did not. It was like a whole, and I think that's what I try not to speak in the jargon, but I, I catch myself doing it. And I think it's one of those mechanisms that makes people feel like they don't belong or that it's so complicated yes. and none of it's like rocket science. But if you don't speak it and somebody's speaking a hundred miles a minute and a bunch of acronyms, like you wonder if you can cut it. And at least I did. Um, oh, and no, I, I didn't speak the language at all. But yeah, yeah, somehow. That's one of the reasons why I started the podcast is because I was on a call with a bunch of um, the private equity company we raised money for in from Superfly. They wanted me to be on a call for, you know, this publishing was a music publishing thing. And they, you know, they wanted somebody who understood the language. So I got on the call and they kept talking about dry powder, dry powder. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? And it was before, right before COVID. But for some reason, I couldn't get down to Nashville because it was like one of those weekends where it was like everything was happening. So you couldn't even get a flight because they asked me last minute. So I was actually on a call. So I'm looking it up while I'm like, dry powder. And it turns out it just means like extra money. I'm like, why do you have to talk like this? It's like, this is a thing that prevents us from thinking that we can actually do it, right? It's like all the sports references. Like, you know, they say like skate to the pop. I have a skate to the puck. I'm like, what does that mean? They're like, it's in hockey. I'm like, who plays hockey? Like, come on, you know? Exactly. That like. And so it's all these things that make us feel insecure or don't want to do it or, you know what I mean? And that's part of the problem. And so, yeah, when you start talking all this jargon, so I'm always like, all right, what does that mean? Like, it's okay. You don't have to feel stupid. It's, you know, no different than whatever you're in. There's going to be something that you're talking about that's that people just don't understand. Mm -hmm. So I love it. Yes. Dry powder. 
my God. I need a <laughs> company called that. Um, okay. So you, now you're building the company, you figure it out, like, you, you know, scaling, et cetera. Um, you're competing with Chips Ahoy. Like, what are the things when you look back that you're like, I did this really well that like you, you know, other than standing in line behind somebody at the zoo? I think the things that I did really well were building it slowly to start because we built the business on a strong foundation. We got a lot of feedback from our consumers, from our customers. We understood the unit economics on the products. Like I feel like at the time I was like, gosh, why can't we move any faster? And I was seeing other companies that were raising a ton of money and going into all these stores. And I don't think we'd still be around if I had done that because I wouldn't have even known what to do with the money. And so I think building slowly from the start was important. I think that making sure that I put our impact efforts and who we were and what we stood for as a part of every conversation, as a part of really who we are and like didn't waver from that has been really important because it's been a lot, it's allowed us to attract the right team members, the right investors, the right brand partnerships. And I think at times I would get feedback to, you know, it's just a product, just go sell the product and change it in this way because that's what the market wants right now. But I really tried to stay true to, I really did stay true to who I was and why I started this company. Um, I would say that. And then I think the way that we raised money, I think because we have so many investors and because we raised from a group of people that really believe in supporting women and people of color and positive impact on the world, I've been able to grow the business in a way that makes sense for us rather than like a growth at all costs, rather than in a growth at all costs way. Uh, what about, and did you think, let me, let me go back. A Do you think those things that you did well were like innate in you? Like how did, was it like an intuition? What is it that like helped you do those things? Do you know? I think some was intuition. So I think on the first part, it was scarcity. I didn't have any money. If somebody would have thrown a bunch of money at me, I would have taken it all day. It just like yeah. worked out that I did it and I didn't have access to it. So that was no strategy on my part. I think on the second piece about staying true to me and the brand, I feel like when you start a company, like I started the company for my daughter, I feel like she's watching everything I do. I want to be a good example for her. And so like really keeping her in mind as my North Star has really helped me on, on like that part of things. And then on the fundraising front, I think it was talking to peer mentors folks that were having like positive experiences and negative experiences with investors and seeing what I wanted and what I didn't want. So um, kind of three different ways to, to tackle those three different things. What about like things that lessons that you learned you wish you would have known or done better? Um, I wish I would have known how strong and how I mean, God, there's so many things I don't know, but like how smart I am. I think so many times yeah. I would sit in a room and I would hear the language. I'm like, I'm never going to make it. I don't know anything. I'm an idiot. And there was like, I wasted so much time and still do on imposter syndrome and just like ruminating in my own thoughts about what I'm capable of and not capable of that. I wish I didn't do so much of that. Um, I think delegating, I could do that better. Um, like making sure that I'm really like using my time for like the highest and best use of the, for the company and for myself, rather than trying to wear all the hats and do all the things um, are two things that, you know, I feel like I still have room to grow on. Yeah. I mean, look, I think getting over that, 
you know, I know there's a whole new trend of like not saying imposter syndrome. It's like something that's, you know, put upon us. Like it's like when women, you know, empowering women, it's like we have the power, you know, how to, you know, but it's really hard. It's like, how did you do that? How did you get rid of the imposter syndrome on a daily basis? You know, I still have, I do it too every day. It's like one day I wake up and I'm like, I'm amazing. The next day I'm like, oh, you know? Yep, exactly. <laughs> Um, somebody gave me the tip of keeping a they called it they had a really cute name for it and I probably I I don't know I should give it a try but they mentioned like writing down all the amazing things that you've done so you have like a fact-based like list of things that show you why you're such a badass and why you could tackle the world I haven't done it yet and I'm still trying to figure it out because I I definitely feel the same in terms of one day I wake up like I'm going to take over the world and the next day I feel like there's no way I can do this. Yeah. My, I had an executive coach that said like, you're supposed to write down the three things that you're grateful for before you go to bed at night. I was like, no, I, I never have done it. You know, I think I did it for a day. You know, I need to like read atomic habits and then like figure out how to do it. But yeah, I think, I mean, I look, I think just sharing that information is so helpful to women in particular starting businesses to know that it's just like, Every day does not mean you're like, yes, this is great. And, you know, for all the peaks, there's valleys, for all the valleys, there's peaks and, you know, you continue on. Um, Okay. So what is the future of Partake? Like, where do you see it in five years from now? More products. So we definitely have more innovation coming. We're going to work our way down the snack aisle and hopefully at some point across the store. Um, More distribution. So you can find us in about 12,000 stores across the country right now um, in places like um, American Airlines or in airports. But I really want to make sure we're meeting our consumer wherever they'd like to find our product. And so you'll see us expand more. Um, And then more impact. I think we're, as a team, as a company, really focused on doing good in the world, particularly around eradicating childhood food insecurity and increasing diversity in the food industry. And I think as our business grows, the positive impact that we'll be able to have in those areas will hopefully grow. So tell everybody, but what, like, what are the main things that they can buy if they haven't seen it yet? What's going to happen is the second, like somebody listens to this, they're going to be like, I've never heard of that. They're going to walk in a store and see it, you know? So I hope so too. So we have cookies, soft baked and crunchy cookies that you can find across retailers like Target, Whole Foods, Sprouts, Kroger, Walmart. Um, we also have pancake and waffle mix that you can find on Amazon and in Target. And we just launched graham crackers nationally at Target. Love it. We need a new s'more, man. What made you do graham crackers? We needed a new s'more. Just like what, 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 what is it? What is it about graham crackers that are so bad? Because I really don't know. I don't really eat them that much. So there aren't, there's a few gluten-free options on the market. There's no gluten-free vegan options on the market. And so for anybody who has food allergies, um, it was really hard to to be able to make uh, s'mores. And so um, as we think about kind of the, the, classic staple pantry items, um, recreating those to be better for you, but tasty so that everyone with or without dietary restrictions can hopefully have fully participate. I love it. So I know we have to let you go because you're running a massive company, obviously. Um, There's one question I ask everyone on this because I know as women, we've gotten a lot of it. And that is, what is the worst advice you've ever received? The worst advice that I've ever received is around not staying true to my values. I think when times would get rough, 
people would suggest making different products or bringing on different types of investors or treating employees in a certain way that didn't align with my values. Mm -hmm. And so at the end of the day, I want to be able to go to sleep with a clear conscience, knowing that conscience, knowing that I did the right thing by our employees and our customers and any advice that I got that went against that, I would consider kind of the worst advice. I love that. No, it's true. I mean, it could be a lot easier if you just, you know, capitulated, right? And settled. Mm -hmm. But that's not you. Thank you so much for being on this. I think usually I'm like, where can everybody find you? But I think we've settled that in here. But like, what about like a website, Instagram, where can everybody find you there? Sure. You can find us at Partake Foods across all social media channels. And then you can find me on Instagram at Denise G. Woodard. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on this episode and letting everybody hear this amazing story so they can go out and spend lots of money on your products. Thank you so much for having us. Yes. No, I love it. I'm so happy we made this work. Um, And to everyone listening, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business. Until next time, I'm Jennifer Justice. 49 faces looked to him in triumph. Over the last 12 months, they had each taken turns and promoted his business for a week at a time, driving over $987,342 in revenue. What if you had a network of 50 centers of influence who promoted your business every week for a year? Grab your copy of the number one Amazon best-selling book, The Ultimate Guide to Growing Your Business with a Podcast, at 33% off the Amazon price by going to ultimatepodcastbook.com. Again, that website for 33% off the Amazon price is ultimatepodcastbook.com.